welcome to yet another episode of Behind the Lens. It is post-Spirit Awards and Oscar weekend. Uh, Some surprises, some wonderful, wonderful wins, some eh wins, and some sad losses for a lot of people. But all in all, I think everybody got a little taste of everything this past weekend. And here we are today, starting off March on Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator and host of Behind the Lens. You can find my movie reviews and interviews in print and online around the globe on BehindTheLensOnline.net, many other places, but every Monday I am right here on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, where we go behind the lens and below the line talking with the movers and shakers, the directors, the producers, the screenwriters, composers, actors, costume designers, uh, VFX guys, sound sound engineers and designers, and everything in between. Uh, and today, we have incredible guests. Those of you that uh, follow Behind the Lens on social media or follow me, Movie Shark D, or on Facebook, you know I have just been beyond thrilled with one of our guests today, Dick Cavett, the legendary Dick Cavett, will be joining us live at the half-hour mark of the show. He's going to talk about his new documentary, Ali and Cavett, The Tale of the Tapes. And when I say Ali, there is only one, the one who floats like a butterfly and stings like a bee, Muhammad Ali. Over the course of Dick Cavett's career and Muhammad Ali's career, the two of them became friends. I think, probably, I think Dick Cavett interviewed Muhammad Ali more than any other guest over the many iterations of his various talk shows over the decades. And this is a compilation. This is an incredible, incredible telling of the life and times of Muhammad Ali as shown through the lens of these appearances on, in his interviews with Dick Cavett. Uh, a couple years ago, there was a wonderful documentary that Ali's daughters uh, were produced. And we got to really understand. They opened up family archives and audio tapes of phone messages he would leave for them when they were little and he would be on the road. And we saw a different side of the man. We also see a different side of the man as he engages with somebody that it's very easy to see he considered to be a friend, Dick Cavett. So I'm very thrilled to have Dick Cavett with us at the halfway halfway point. All you TCM fans out there will remember that Dick Cavett was at the TCM Film Festival with us last year. Uh, So that was exciting. And I'll I'll ask him, is he going to come back this year? Of course. But before that, in just a few minutes... Uh, director Fran Strine, you remember Fran? He was on the show some time ago with uh, guitarist Phil X talking about their documentary, Hired Guns. Well, now joining Fran today is going to be the one and only Ray Parker Jr. Who are you going to call? Well, instead of us calling them, Fran and Ray are going to be calling into us to talk about a new project they're working on. I know nothing about it, so I'm going to be as much as surprised as all of you listeners are, and uh, 
There's a crowdfunding launch tomorrow, so you're going to hear about it first, right here on Behind the Lens. I'm very excited um, to have Fran back on, to have Ray join us, a legend. Pam is smiling in the booth. She's very excited when I emailed her earlier this week that, hey, we don't just have Dick Cavett. We have Ray Parker Jr. Uh, So that'll be coming up in a few minutes. But before Fran and Ray call in, I want to... You know, let's let's just let you have experience some of the fun of what happened at the Spirit Awards this weekend. As we all know, with the Oscars, which was televised on ABC nationally, so you all got to see it. Unless you're watching on IFC for the Spirit Awards, you miss that airing live. Although there are rebroadcasts of it, and there were some really incredible, incredible winners at the Spirit Awards. Uh, one of whom, Jordan Peele. Get Out not only won Best Picture at the Spirit Awards, which many thought might have swept in, split the difference between Three Billboards and Shape of Water at the Oscars. Of course, The Shape of Water won. Yay! Um, But he did, uh, Get Out did pick up Best Picture at the Spirit Awards. But for Jordan's win as Best Director, I got to ask him a little bit about what winning the Spirit Award means to him. Jordan, congratulations. I've got to ask you, first time directorial, independent Spirit Award, what does it mean to win this award above all others? Well, you know, this is... I, 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 I feel like this is the, the spirit of the award, of, of this film, and me as a first time director, uh... It, it encapsulates what this award is about. So it's very, I'm very proud. This was a scrappy, scrappy movie I had to make. We had 23 days. I had to put my heart and soul into it. I cried just about every night because it was so draining. And I got up every morning and I brushed that off. And I, I you know, I, I, I got it together and I realized that this is the, the best time of my life. It was a, a full adventure. And um, I think that's what the, the, the Film Independence Spirit Awards is about. And I know you're hearing a lot of noise in the background. The Spirit Awards are done. For those that don't know, Spirit Awards are held on the beach in Santa Monica in tents. And uh, I was in the on the red carpet to begin with doing interviews, which you'll all be able to see later this week on uh, uh, BehindTheLensOnline.net as well as on Behind the Lens, Elias Entertainment on YouTube. But in the press tent, we are literally in a tent the wind is blowing, machinery is blowing, trying to get for some kind of air in, and it had poured rain all day the day before, the morning of. Um, I'm very happy to report I have not incurred pneumonia after standing in water for seven hours. Um, so that was exciting. But, you know, we've cleaned up that audio as best we can. When you watch the videos of the press tent interviews, because the camera is plugged into the malt box, you will have crystal clear audio. But I just want to let all the listeners get a flavor now for the immediacy of the awards moment and wrapping things up. But somebody else I got to talk to that many of you may not realize, Anison Janney, she was training to be an Olympic ice skater. That was her big goal in life until an injury that tore tendons and ligaments sidelined her ice skating career and she went into acting so 
She was the first award for be- at Spirit Awards for Best Supporting Female. She went on to win the Oscar the following night. Here's what she had to say to me. I have to, I have to congratulate you, Allison. This third time is a charm. But now, does this make up for not fulfilling your Olympic dreams? Totally. This is the closest I'll get to uh, being an Olympic figure skater, and, and that's just my <laughs> And... Yes, very difficult to hear because Spirit Awards had their own technical issues happening with the microphones not being on for the room. So (laughs) it's always a fun-filled, fun-filled event. And I'm thinking here, should we, let's see, do we have time, Pam, for Agnes Varda before Fran calls in? What do you think? All right, well, we're going to bring up um, a lady who is world-renowned at the, at the forefront of French Nouveau. Uh, she has been making films for over 50 years. Agnes Varda, she walked away with the Spirit Award for Best Documentary, which was produced by her daughter, Rosalie. So here's what they had to say. Congratulations. I'd like to know exactly how is it or how difficult is it working for your mother <laughs> or her working for you? But, um, you know, I grew up in a family of cinema, so this is in my world, and I'm very happy since globally 10 years uh, to be next to Agnes and to try to produce her exhibition, her project, and this film was really um First to call GR, saying, you know, I'm the daughter of Agnes Varda, you don't know her, but I'd like you to meet my mother. And he was saying, yes! So we began like this. And, you know, I think working uh, with my mother is totally normal. We have a very good working relationship, which is, um, you know, we not allowed to be always agreeing on everything, but the bases are good. and respect her work since so many years. I think, you know, to be next to a woman that is an artist who began to work in 1954, who went to all the technology and now is working in digital. I mean, this is, for me, a little treasure. I want to say about the relationship is that Rosalie allowed us to do a very specific way of working. I wanted to shoot only one week per month because after one week I'm tired. And, and we had other things to do. We had exhibition, I had also art exhibition. So this week we met, discussed what we can do next month, and we did it. So the, the shooting lasted 15 months. And she was never, she was never, she was never taking, saying, it's too much, it's too long. She, she played the game with us, which was so good for us. And they are absolutely adorable, mother and daughter. And I really connected with what Rosalie had to say about Agnes and that she has seen gone through all the transitions. I went through all of that with my father who started in the days of live television back in 1948. 
at WFIL in Philadelphia, where he remained through its incarnations until his passing. Uh, and he, too, went from live to kinescope to f- through film, through video, through two-inch tape to smaller uh, VHS, betas, uh, empty time code, to microwave technology and on to digital. So I really appreciated what Rosalie had to say in the journey that she and the respect she had for her mother. So talk about respect. All right, here they are. Fran Strine and Ray Parker Jr., welcome. Welcome. Thanks just for having us. This is Ray. Hi, Ray. It's Fran. Hey, this is Fran. Hey, Fran. Welcome back. So good to talk to you again. Thank you for having us on. Oh, my God. I was so excited when you emailed me the other day. Of course, I will always find room for you, Fran. But now, I'm... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you. I have been in suspense. I have been in suspense ever since you emailed me about this incredible announcement, this crowdfunding launch, and what this project is the two of you are working on. Because anybody that saw Fran's last documentary, Hired Gun, if you haven't seen it, you better get thee to a a digital rental somewhere. Because it's an amazing, amazing... Very captivating. Very very captivating. Oh, you're right, Ray. It is. It's and you're in it too, but uh, it is yeah. an outstanding. And you get to see some of the most incredible performances from some of the greatest guitarists, drummers of of the working today. Absolutely phenomenal. So I'm dying to see what you two are cooking up now. So talk to me, boys. Tell me. <laughs> All right. So, so basically, you know, Hired Gun, we tell a little bit of the story of, of Ray Parker Jr. And uh, obviously his story is way too big for that film to fill up the, the 98 minutes. <laughs> so my first thought was I've got I've to make a feature on this guy because we became good friends after the, after the film because he was going around the world promoting Hired Gun with me. And there's so much stuff that, he neglected to tell me during the interviews because he had just flown in from Japan the night before. And his story is way beyond just Ghostbusters. And uh, I'll let Ray talk a little bit about, about some of his early work. Yeah, I grew up in Detroit. <clears throat> so so I'm a guitar player, and there's all the stuff that happened to me in Detroit, which is madness and crazy in itself, stemming from Smokey Robinson to Marvin Gaye to Donna Ross and all the time we fit together. Then going on tour with the Rolling Stones and Stevie Wonder and all that kind of stuff. And then working with Tom Jones and the Carpenters and all that stuff. So it's just, it's a lot more than just me. And then there's a bunch of some heavy drama in the middle there. There's <laughs> always drama. like drama. Always all drama, Ray. Yeah. There's always drama. <laughs> there's always some drama. You just can't escape it, you know. And it's some lighthearted drama. I mean, it's nothing that's going to make the people go crazy. But, you know, letting teaching Stevie Wonder how to drive is pretty interesting. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. You have to repeat that one? Teaching <laughs> teaching Stevie Wonder how to drive. What do we Can we repeat a, a... Yeah. Oh, my. We'll have all that in the book. We'll have all that in the documentary. You know? <laughs> that needs it, Fran, that needs its own, you know, chapter in the documentary, I think. Oh, yeah. It'll have its own giant segment. <laughs> Along with him... Uh, Who's, who's the one guy that you slept in the castle with that scared you in the middle of the night? Uh, oh, Van Morrison. That wasn't a slept in the camp. I was in a, in a, in a castle in Oxford, <laughs> England. 
Oh my God! Yeah, Van Morrison. Would yeah, the Raiders program. Program. That's a whole. That's a whole another story. But there's a million of those. You know, this could be interesting. So you know. Well, I'll share. I'll share something with you that, that's pretty interesting to me. So, how ironic is it that Ray wrote the biggest scary song ever, Ghostbusters? And he's terrified of sleeping alone in the dark, <laughs> and, he, right. and, and, and he won't go into into old hotels. I remember we we booked a room in Chicago, doing a, a Grammy screening, and he immediately looked at the front door. He's like, "I can't stay here." I'm like, "What do you mean? This is a four hundred dollar night hotel." He's like, "It's too spooky, man. It's it's, yeah. it's vintage and old." And <laughs> yeah, so it's funny to me that he wrote the song Ghostbusters, yet he's terrified of ghosts in the dark and sleeping alone. Oh, <laughs> hey, Fran. Yeah, oh, how about I'm gonna stay in my own house by myself? <laughs> <laughs> it's too spooky too. <laughs> well, His own house. So, yeah, so like. obviously, obviously, Ray, when you've been in Hollywood, you never stay at the Roosevelt Hotel because we all know that is haunted. Oh, definitely not. Yeah, we all <laughs> know that that's haunted no by the ghosts of of the first Oscar yeah. and many other things. So. Oh my God! I love, but you know, I'm I'm with you about. I don't turn lights off. A light. I always have a light on in my house. Always. I will not. Yeah, I will me not. Too. I will not. I always have a night light. I will never have my house in pitch darkness, because with my I do it mainly mm-hmm. because if I try to walk around, inevitably I will trip over something, fall on my face, and smash my head. So yeah. you know, possibly a different reason, but. <laughs> that we'll go with that. I'm one. a little worse than that. If I'm in the complete darkness, they say I'll swallow my tongue. <laughs> okay, now that that's just. <laughs> Fran, how, Fran, how how have you planned out how you're going to turn this these comedic events into this feature length doc? <laughs> Well, look, if you if you spend any time with Ray Parker, man, he, he's a funny dude anyway, and his storytelling is just great. But, uh, you know, it goes beyond the, the funny stories. As a child, he had a really, you know, I'm not going to say a, a horrible upbringing, because I'm sure his parents were fire bottom up, but the, the neighborhood he was in during the riots of 67 in Detroit, he was harassed a lot as a child. And maybe if it wasn't for that, he wouldn't be where he is today, because that, that uh you know, encouraged him to pick up the guitar and play because he was just desperate to get out because of that situation. And uh, who'd you go on tour with first at like 14? The Spinners, right? Yeah, the first band I went on tour was the Spinners. I think I was 13 or 14. Wow. You really wanted to get out of Detroit. Yeah. Wow. I love the city, and I still love it now, but it was just the police were pretty bad and some other things weren't so good. Yeah, well, that that's yeah. So this is you know this is this is race yeah this is race stories from those horrific events in 1967 to to where he is today, which is way beyond Ghostbusters. And loving his family is really encouraging to me, you know, because uh, I have a son too, man, and he, I see how much he loves his kids and uh, is helping them in their careers. That's really touching to me as well. But just just it's going to be a great story. I'm very excited to tell it. And I'm even more excited that we're going to shoot it on actual film. Uh, <gasps> oh. This will be my first yeah. time using this medium, uh, oh. thanks to Kodak. And uh, we're very, very excited because I think it's going to just, just tell the story that much that much better and elevate it. Oh, my God. I am so thrilled to hear that, Fran. And I know that all of our filmmaker listeners, because we do have a lot of Academy members and a lot of, of fi- uh, directors that listen to the show, and it's like they just, it, everybody just gets so excited when somebody talks about shooting on film. 
I am thrilled to hear <clears throat> yeah. you say this. Oh my God! God bless Kodak. Yeah. So it, it's it's re- it's really funny because we we did a uh, industry screening of Hired Gun last year, and a gentleman approached me after the movie. Goes, "Why didn't you shoot that on film?" I'm like, "Well, I can't afford to. It's <laughs> extremely expensive." <laughs> and he handed me his business card, which was actually a, a strip of film with his name on it. His name was Steve Bellamy, and he happened to be the president of Kodak. He's like, you made a masterpiece of a movie here. You need to really tell these stories with with celluloid. And I'm like, well, help me out. And they are. I mean, they're they're, they're fantastic mm-hmm. people. Uh, they really believe in this story and believe in my filmmaking skills. So I'm just beyond myself to uh, to do this on film. Well, your filmmaking skills. I mean, it's just one look at Hired Gun, one look at your Dolly Parton. Uh, videos. I mean, it's your filmmaking sp- skills speak for themselves, Fran. <laughs> Um, but, well, yeah, that's very nice. Thank you. But uh, are you going to shoot 35? You're going to shoot 16? I know 16, a lot of directors are now moving into the 16 realm yeah, because of the grain and I texture. Think 16, I think 16 is going to, is going to work perfect for this and just, uh, and just tell these stories that well, they should be told, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, cause seeing, seeing the emotion through the film. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. And by, by the way, I'm trusting this guy with my life story. So who am I going to call, right? Um, <laughs> right. You're gonna call me, and I'll get you a good lawyer. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure. So that, that's how much faith I got in it. Wow. <laughs> Why now, Ray? Why so, tell your you story know, at this point? You know what? Well, it just seems like nature is taking its time. It's just the right time happening all by itself. I, I don't think I have anything to do with it. I'm sitting in the back seat of a car, and it's driving itself. <laughs> Well, it's taking you on a really great drive, let me tell you. Yeah, I'm having fun. You know, I've got to ask <laughs> you. You know, one of the coolest things that... What? Oh, I was just going to add real quick. One of the coolest things that, that happened with us, uh, Ray and I, I was in L.A. for something with Ray. We went to a dinner or something, and we were on Hollywood Boulevard. He goes, you want to see something cool? I'm like, yeah, man. So we're cruising down, and he whips his car over and jumps out and he goes, check this out. And he brought me to the Hollywood Walk of Fame star, <laughs> which was pretty neat, man, to be in the in the ride with the guy. And he's cool enough to just pull over and show it to you, man. What an accomplishment. You know? yeah. <laughs> and that's so, that cool. so cool. Who was driving? Not Stevie Wonder. Me? <laughs> no, not, not that day. Not that day. Maybe another day. <laughs> oh, my God. So, now... Tomorrow is your big crowdfunding launch to get financing for this incredible project, is it not? Yes. Yes, it is. So talk to me about this crowdfunding launch because everybody needs to get in on this. Because who doesn't, if you don't know the the breadth of Ray's work, everybody knows Ghostbusters. And everybody wants to learn right. about, oh, the, yeah. about the man behind this. So, well, look, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're jump-starting this project on Indiegogo. The name of the movie is called Who You Gonna Call? I mean, what, what else would it be called, right? <laughs> right. And uh, we're looking for seed money to get started. Uh, as any filmmaker knows, it takes a minute to get funding for this stuff, and we don't want to wait any longer, you know. So we're jump-starting the project and uh, asking anybody that, that loves film and music and great storytelling to please go on there and check it out. There's some great, great perks on there. Everything from 
sign posters, to sign Blu-rays, a guitar pick, to sign guitar. Uh, you can help us fund, you know, some of the Kodak stock, uh, help us license some of the music, which if anybody's ever done a music film or documentary, they know how expensive that can be. Um, name in the credits, you can come, come to a private screening with Ray and I, and he'll do a storytelling session after the movie. Um, tons of stuff on there that are going to be really cool and, and, and reasonably priced. I was going to say, where where do your price points, your donation points, start? <clears throat> they start at five bucks. Wow! You know? Wow! Yeah, or five bucks. You know, you get a, get a little special shout out on the on the official Facebook page, and uh, you know, and they go and they go up into the thousands. So, just depends on what you want, but there's something here for everybody, and, and somebody can walk away with something fairly inexpensive. And yeah, you- just a million people with five bucks, we're good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a million people. Okay. I well, mean, we could make five movies, Ray. What are you talking about? <laughs> Don't tell them that. No. Fran, Fran, knows how to sh- Fran knows how to shoot economically and efficiently. Yeah. So he gets more bang for yeah. the buck. Yes. And that's so important in today in today's, you know, filmmaking world. You got to get as much sure bang is. for yeah. your buck as possible. But I can guarantee you guys... I will be on there tomorrow, and you will be getting money from me. Oh, well, thank you so much. With, we hope you're our first donation. So, Oh, I hope I am. Sounds like I owe her a kiss or something. <laughs> <laughs> what time does the, what, well, what time does the launch, uh, does the crowdfunding <laughs> launch on Indiegogo tomorrow? Is it at midnight, well, 9 a.m.? it'll probably be around or? midnight. Midnight, yeah. Okay. Midnight tonight. Ah, well, and... You know who's up at midnight at and night. I'll make sure I'll send, you a, I'll send you a link so you can share it with your listeners. Oh, my God. Definitely. Because then also, yeah. you know, because I'm shooting the show with two cameras today. So when it goes into video edit, that can scroll. That can be on the Chiron on the bottom of the video. So anyone that then watches oh, great. the show after, they'll have it right mm-hmm. there in front of them. So they have no excuses. And, uh, you know, we'll get, I'll, get some, I'll get something up on the website for you guys, too. Um I can't. I, Thank you. I just. I can't believe this. How long do you think? What's going to be involved in this particular process for you, Fran? Are we going to have uh, a lot of talking heads, or just you know, or ghost no. ghost heads no, talking? No, this is going to be this. There'll be a few talking heads, but this is most going to be you know a, a run and gun with Ray. Uh, obviously, telling his life story. We'll have to do some sit down interviews, but. uh you know, Ray stays on the run, and he's still in very high demand, and anywhere we go, he commands the room, which mm-hmm. is still cool, man. We walked into this Kodak event the other night for the Oscar-winning directors, or Oscar-nominated directors, and he was swamped with people just wanting pictures with him and selfies and you know, all this cool stuff, and uh, there'll be some live jam stuff. So imagine Ray doing The Other Woman, but with Lenny Kravitz singing it. Oh, my God. Oh my! Or God. you know, I don't know if you know this, but Ray, yeah, Ray had a hand in, in writing. Uh, you make me feel like dancing. Mm-hmm. So imagine Ray up there jamming and, and, and doing a duet with uh, Adam Levine from Maroon Five. Okay, you that so okay. we want to pair him up with some really cool people. Oh, see, that I think is one of the greatest things that's been happening over, I'd say, probably the past decade, is taking renowned artists like you, Ray. And, you know, pairing them up with the younger generation. Um, we see Barbara Streisand yeah. doing that. Of course, Tony Bennett, you know, with his duets. 
And I just think it is fantastic because it also opens up a whole new generation to what came before. Sure to, does. To the music became, that came yep. before, to the films that came before, and to the people that created this and inspired these younger, these younger uh, artists. Mm-hmm. So I'm thrilled to hear that. That's always one of my favorite things when I see, be it in music, be it in film, when you're pairing up. Oh, yeah. The generations. So well, that- let me tell you something. Don't, don't be surprised if you see one of Ray's sons in there uh, doing a song with him. So oh, yeah. They're insanely talented. Yeah. yeah, both of them are really going to be. That's the end of the story. We're going to end up with the, the new Ray's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. You have to do You have to do a duet with, you, with your sons. I, 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 that goes without oh, saying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That, what do you think is going to be the... Yeah, and my... my, my here, here's my dream. My dream is that, you know, Ray uh, wrote one of Shaka Khan's biggest hits, You Got the Love. Mm-hmm. How old are you, 18 years old? Something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But imagine having Shaka Khan come in and just belting out that song with him. I oh. would faint. Oh, my God. I don't God. think I'd get the scene done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. You're giving me chills just telling yeah. me all about this. I mean, this this is yeah. such no, an I mean, exciting... I've been, I've been dreaming about this project now for over a year, so you know, now it's becoming a reality. I'm, I'm besides myself. Uh, yeah. Any idea what your what your end goal on Indiegogo is for money? Well, you know, to, to get started, we're going to need about fifty grand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to cost more than that, obviously, to make the film, but I think it will get picked up before then. But right. uh, this is just some seed money to get the ball rolling and. Uh, you know, our goal is to get this thing done before the end of the year, so we can get it all to the uh, all the festivals. Oh, and I think it's a, a doable challenge. I think it is. I I really think that that's mm-hmm. that's you know that's a good goal to have in mind for the end of the year. Um, at least have mm-hmm. enough that you can yeah. start submitting in the fall for consideration for Sundance. You know, L.A. Film Festivals now. Absolutely. L.A. Film Festivals now moved their fest to September. Mm-hmm. So you'll have plenty of time to try and right. get into that. Um, yeah, I think that's that. I think that's a great plan. You know, how much time are are the two of you planning to devote to this? Especially you, Ray. You know, because you're still out there performing and doing whatever. Stuff. It, whatever. Uh, well, it's my yeah, but it's my story. I got this is history. <laughs> we got to de- dedicate whatever time is necessary. <laughs> Does that this past is work? And man, we don't need to work. We need to get the story right. You know. So I got I got to ask. Yeah, Ray's been incredibly incredible. Ray's yeah, I'm a firm believer. If you don't tell history correct in history, then somebody else will tell the history, and that'll be different. You know? No, I mean it's so you know. Very quickly before I I let you guys go for Dick Cavett, I mean you couldn't have picked a better show, Fran, to ask me. Could you call in on? I mean. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but I, I, I want to ask you, Ray, um, what is the greatest gift that this journey has given you so far? It's given me the happiness and and, and, and my, my my kid's hero because of the one song. You know? <laughs> but I just think, for me, music, I grew up in Detroit. I would have been working at Ford Motor Company or GM or something. So I'm, I'm unbelievably blessed unbelievably thankful I, I tell everybody i'm the most blessed guy in the world and i have enough sense to know it oh well guys i can't thank you enough for calling in crowdfunding launches tonight at midnight on indiegogo who you gonna call i mean this, there you go 
if anybody has ever got, thought about throwing money at a, at, a, at a film before, this is the one. This is the one. And, this is it. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Fran. Thank you, Ray. And I hope that as you, as you go through the process, you'll come back on the show and keep us filled in on it. Absolutely. Wonderful. And thanks for all your help. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Thanks, okay. Dad. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. friend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. And that was Ray Parker Jr. and Fran Strine. So at midnight tonight, people, you can all be part of the new documentary, Who You Gonna Call. Uh, just go to Indiegogo. And uh, I will. Fran will send me the direct link. I'll have that up on my website, BehindTheLensOnline.net. Later tonight, uh, once I get it from him, and uh, I'll be tweeting it out on social media for you. So, are we ready, Pam? Oh, okay. And now, let us welcome the wonderful Mr. Dick Cavett. Welcome to Behind the Lens. <laughs> are, are we connected in some way, at least? We, we... <laughs> Well, we're connected on the phone right now. So, uh-huh. Welcome to... Well, that's better than nothing, I'm told. That's it. Welcome, Dick. Uh, this is such such a thrill to have you on the show. Uh, I have, Oh, come on. Uh, you know, we got to meet briefly at TCM Film Festival last year. And, you know, to have you... Oh, y- yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. And to have you now... I have been watched you uh, for from the time from the '60s with your early shows. I grew up watching you doing interviews with people, and you grew up watching me. I grew up watching <laughs> all you. in one night. No, you know it took you know a uh, bunch of years, a bunch of decades. I mean, I'm 60 now, so uh, I started a little late. My but- God, <laughs> you don't look a day over 59. <laughs> Oh God, damn! I'm going to complain to Jennifer. Well, that's really. So- that- now, where did the time go between then and now? I I don't know. And as I watched this new documentary, Allie and Cavett, the tale, uh, uh, tale of the tapes, I sat there, and that's what I kept thinking. Because as I'm watching these interviews and the clips uh, f- that are put together to tell this story, I was just yeah. I'm remembering. When I watched it the first time, I was actually remember. Oh my God! You, you're you're in a time machine now. I was totally. You totally put me in a time machine, Dick. Uh, just it. <laughs> it was like I, I remember sitting and watching some of them with my father, who was a big boxing fan. Uh, of course, in sure. our in our in our family, you know, growing up in suburban Philly, you got you're a Frasier <laughs> fan. You go to school with the Frasers, you're a Frasier fan. Uh, wow, I guess so. But, you know, I immediately, the, the interviews made such an impact. All of your interviews have been so impactful over the years. And your style, the casual nature that really brings out, and it gets people talking, and we get to see a great human side. And that's something I really love. With this particular doc, the tale of the tapes, because we really get to understand a different side of Muhammad Ali. 
Can I get a copy of everything you've just said? Of course you can. Of course you can. <laughs> Annie will have a link this wonderful. afternoon. <laughs> I it's how t- because I you know I know that who directed this? I forget who directed this now. I'm going I'm going bl- I'm going blank here. Um but I'm looking at everything and how did you go about picking the tapes to include? Because I think you interviewed him more than any other guest over the years. Yeah, I think I probably did. I, I, I don't know the exact count. I'm told it's 10 or 11 times he was on the show, which is certainly more than anybody else was. After all, I only had Catherine Hepburn once. <laughs> well, you got more than a lot of people got. A lot yeah. of they didn't get Catherine Hepburn. So, <laughs> by the way, that thing you said about uh, watching it then and then seeing it now, mm-hmm. uh, there's another dimension to that. In that, young people are seeing really young. I mean, are seeing the show that their parents have told them they watched at college. That's right. And that's me. So, uh, <laughs> time is bending in every direction here. Well, you know, and it, it's funny because things like this, you know, to have a compilation like this and not just sitting down and looking at interview after interview, but having context of story and what was happening in the world at the time. Yeah. And you take us back. Well, uh, Robert, Robert Bader, who made the thing, uh, put it together and they selected it, uh, is in charge of my tapes and he was the one who noticed how many, many times I had had Ali on the show and said, let's do a show about this. You know, what was what was it for you, the appeal? Was it your friendship that had you bring him back on so many times? Or was it tied in with the changing times? Because he seemed to be directly tied to what was happening in the sociopolitical arena. In the United yeah, States. you're absolutely right about that, and that's what makes it what makes it a, a piece of American history at that time. Um, and there are younger folks and people will see this and learn for the first time who, for example, Elijah Muhammad was, or the black Muslims, or uh, any number of current dynamic figures at the time. Um, and, and Ali was definitely, definitely tuned into it. Someone's making a loud knocker sound on my front door. <laughs> Shall I just stay still? Whatever you want to do. <laughs> I, I think my wife's getting it. I normally just I ignore I when people it. when people knock on my door. I just ignore them. Uh. <laughs> I, I think that's a damn good idea. <laughs> But, you know, you also... I also have a friend who taught me that when the phone rings, if you can't think of anybody you really want to talk to at that point, let it ring. I do the same thing. Unless, you know, unless I see it's my brother calling me. Then it's, you know... Yeah, that's, that's good. You know. Well, I have the phone that Ali used when I... The night I put him to bed <laughs> in my own house out in Long Island. <laughs> You know, um, I cracked up. We've been working on a documentary. I cracked and up stayed, watching it. 
Say again? I cracked up watching that segment in this documentary. Oh, God. You know, everybody has a different version or memory of that. The way I remember it, I came back to the house, having gone to get his wife from a motel that they were glad to get out of. And as they came in, he said, your wife called. And I said, what? she was in New York. And I said, what, what did you say? And he said, well, she said, darling. <laughs> and I said, this ain't darling. It's your only three-time heavyweight champion in the world, and I'm lying in your bed, and I'm watching your TV. <laughs> oh. And she was hip enough to say, well, she, I thought, she's not going to know what this about. Although we had been to a couple of these fights. So she was able to say, Mr. Ali, I shall definitely put a plaque on that bed. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. But we were such good friends that it's still mysterious to me in a way. We we bonded, although we didn't have that word then, my God. Uh, and uh, there were times when I just felt like he was my best friend and, and I was his. Um I could manipulate his mood. I've never said this before. But uh, they were doing this documentary out there on Long Island. And I showed up on the set just to say hello to him. And they said, I hope you can do something. We're not getting anything out of him. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he just, he's so depressed. And he goes and stands on the cliff and looks out over the sea. And he won't talk to people that come up and talk to him. And we don't know what we're going to do. So I saw Ali, and I went over, and I talked to him. And he went, dick! And he lit up, and he was funny and friendly and a good worker, as they said, from that point on all day. But I don't know what effect I had on him. Wow. I, I used to want to keep wanting to say, who do you think I am? <laughs> Obviously, you were someone he trusted very much, and I think that's evident just by his candor and the number of times that he came on your your various shows. Yeah, and he knew he was never going to get in trouble uh, with me, with me, and with him. There, we we like an old comedy act in a way. We we knew what we were doing and anticipated each other and had the best time. Well, you um, know, and that really comes across and I would, that comes across in the documentary. Robert did a beautiful job of putting this together in a, giving us a chronological sense so we actually see your friendship and camaraderie developing. Yeah, it's it's a story. It really is. And it has chapters and uh, it's just it's wonderful for me to see those things again. I had not re-seen any of these things until this, and uh, really forgotten how much fun and how much time I got from him, including, of course, one of the favorites was when he sitting there with a wired, broken jaw from uh, Manila, was it? Which fight? And, the, I think it was the thrill in Manila. Did Fraser break his jaw? I I think it might have been Fraser. It was either I think it might have been Fraser that did. Yeah, I think so. 
I should know my own documentary, but um, it was uh, very sad. And he was, he was, I think, playing, being mm-hmm. very down. And I could see people in this looking over things. You're having a hard time tonight with him. He's really bringing the show down. And he said, Dick, you're the only one that would put me on. You're the only one. I'm just an old broke-down fighter with a wire jaw, and you're the oniest one that would put me on. You're my main man. And I didn't know the power in the phrase main man. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody later said, do you realize that compliment you got? And every black person that I saw for weeks afterwards said, hey, Ali's main man. Well, you know, something that I really, that I love seeing with this documentary, I saw the one a couple years ago that Ali's daughters produced and Uh that they, they actually opened up the family archives with when he was on the road, when they were little, he would call them and leave them phone messages and they saved them. They saved this whole trove. So we actually hear in that documentary, we hear him talking to his then little girls, leaving them messages. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was just so incredible to see this familial relationship. He was a magic person. Oh, and then to he, he was really a, 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 a being from another world. It was just so him dynamic and yeah, you you know that corny thing about certain people give off a certain power mm-hmm. near them uh, I've never found that to be true of anybody except Ali mm-hmm. and when you were just standing there with him you, you could feel it uh, I, I don't know what it is I don't know what science would say it was uh, but uh, no I mean it just he had a lot of fun in his life you know, I'm curious your thoughts, Dick, because I listen to, you know, as I'm listening to certain of the interviews during some very turbulent times, and he's talking about, you know, the the fighting, and, you know, the racial divide, um, the political system, and we now see the exact same thing happening today. I mean, it was as if yeah. you were sitting down with Ali today and talking to him. And that I find to be extremely striking. I mean, we all know the saying, you know, history repeats itself. But to repeat yeah. itself with such accuracy, it's almost frightening when you listen to that. I love hearing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's... There's never been anything quite like it. By the way... Um, if I if I told you you can give a dollar for everybody who can tell you Ricky Day's heavyweight champion in the world is, uh, you wouldn't end up with much. <laughs> I'm sorry if he's listening, but I don't know. Do you know who who is? No, I don't. Uh, I I don't. That's funny. And when Ali was alive, some writers, or I think maybe composed a page of pictures of people's faces. And they were John F. Kennedy and Mrs. K- 
Kennedy and Mickey Mouse and uh, Liz Taylor and Richard Burton and uh, uh, 15 instantly, instantly recognized people. The only one that everybody in the world could point to and say his name was Ali. Wow. The man who had done it in Africa, he said, upon two tribes uh, with a bone through his nose, they used to say, um, looked at the pictures and was completely, didn't know what they were. But then he saw Ali, Ali, Ali. Wow. More famous than Mickey yeah. Mouse. I don't know. That kind of breaks my heart. But mm-hmm. but I can understand, you know. I've got to ask, I've got to ask you, Dick, you know, as his health declined in later years and he lost yeah. he lost his gift of speech you know how was that for you personally being a friend knowing him over, over the I, uh, there was a big norman mailer literary banquet in new york and at one point they pulled open a curtain and there on a little stage was Ali in a kind of throne-like chair and in dark glasses. But he couldn't speak. And that was so rough. I sat next to him backstage and thought maybe I could... It, it's Dick Cavett, Cavett, Ali. Cavett. I felt silly saying my name over him. And he stirred a little, if that doesn't sound too corny. Mm-hmm. Uh, as if he it rang a bell, but he couldn't move. He could walk, although I mean, his head didn't move. It was just to see this wreckage of this great, great, great athlete. Yeah, and I don't think that the world really understood the ravages of the of Parkinson's on him. After the Atlanta Olympics, I think that was a shocking moment for the world, and sure. you include that in Absolutely. in the documentary. I think, but I think that was really the last time that the world as a whole really saw him. Mm-hmm. And while the hand was shaking, the hand holding the torch was as solid and as yeah. firm and held as high as it ever was. I was on a British Virgin Island at that time, and the, the local people, uh, who were all black except for a few, um, said that we cried tonight when we saw that. Mm-hmm. I think I, I think the whole world cried collectively that night when they saw that. We sort of had to, yeah. You know, because here was he was a for, he was a force of nature. He truly was. Yep. You know how mm-hmm. how difficult if anybody be, ever was. If anybody ever was, you know how long did it take you and Robert to put this documentary together? Uh, I I could not tell you because Robert did all of the technical work, mm-hmm. and uh, we would and he would show me a version. And then he would decide to take it back and redo it, and that, that happened two or three times. And finally got it to its current wonderful state. Um, 
Yeah, it, 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 that, that's that work is beyond me. I, I can I can only I can only look at tape. I can't do anything <laughs> with it. <laughs> and you know, did you did you work? You worked on the through line, the story itself together. Did you not developing that? Yeah. The t- um, the timeline, yeah. And oh God, there's someone at the door again. <laughs> did they get that? I'm sorry, I'm back. Where oh, were we? That's okay. Creating the timeline of where you chose to start telling Ali's story, mm-hmm. and then moving through, you know, to the end. And I have, and I think, and you have to tell Robert. I think that the final screenshot, the slide of Ali, is just absolutely priceless. The yeah. way he ends the documentary, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. He gets all the credit for all of that kind of work in the show. I, 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 I'm just no good at it, and I can't make decisions, and I don't know. And and he's such a veteran of putting together television, that uh, and film, and what else is there? Television and film, I guess. That, yeah, and now yeah. whatever we're finding yeah. on the internet with you know little video shorts or whatever. But you know now the the this documentary is premiering at South by Southwest. Uh, what next week? I think. Yes, it's supposed to be there on Thursday or maybe Friday. Mm-hmm. Or uh, damn, I don't have the exact time for you. No, but I. I but I'm I, sure it's available. Oh yeah! All anybody has to do is go to, to the uh, South by Southwest SXSW. Uh, and they can get the whole screening schedule because I know the film has. I think you're going to have more than one screening there. They are, yes. And I, if I were a professional, I'd be able to tell you. Oh, but that's a, that's are. that's not your job either. Your job was to do oh, all. That's the, right. Thank you. <laughs> your job was to do all these interviews in the '60s and '70s and '80s, and that was your job. Now, now you pass it off to somebody else, and it's their job to take all of that great material and make it into things. I think I love you. <laughs> After having made this, Ollie and Cavett, the tale of the tapes, are there any other guests that you had over the years that you would might like to do a similar documentary on? Uh, a similar one. Uh, it, well, part of that would require, uh, but I got so much of Catherine Hepburn, but it sort of is the documentary. <laughs> got two, she wasn't going to do the show at all, and then uh, she came in to see the studio, but still wasn't sure she wanted to sit in that studio. And I remember she was pushing things. Oh, there's a thing on YouTube, Catherine Hepburn rearranges the furniture. <laughs> and she moved the set about, said that rock is terrible, it has to go. And uh, what was the other thing? She, oh, at one point, there was a kind of fence around part of the stage. I don't know what it was for, decorated. And she said, we don't need that. <laughs> and a stagehand said, well, uh, we'd have to, you know, unscrew the, each one of them. Don't tell me what's wrong, just fix it. <laughs> oh, I think you need to do a Catherine Hepburn one. Maybe. I think you'd yeah. have you'd have every classic film fan in the world watching it. You should know that from TCM. I mean, 
TCM fans are rabid yeah. fans. Yeah, that is the truth. I went to a TCM festival one time, and I could, I could see that for sure. Will you be back? Yeah. Will you be back to the TCM festival this year in April? I, I, as I recall, there's some reason I won't be, and I don't know for sure. Um, everybody probably not. Everybody will be heartbroken. You know that, don't you? I know, but you have to break a few hearts along the way. Oh, to make but you know so the... what's the thing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I remember my nappy philosophy professor once. Some kid said, uh, "You know, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet, Mister Weiss." Mm-hmm. Mr. Weiss said, yes, but eggshells aren't valuable. <laughs> so what else does Dick Cavett have going on right now? You, you've got this documentary that's about that's about to come out to premiere at South By. Yeah, what? do you think I should do a podcast? I think you should. Yeah. I think you have such a wealth of information, such a history, so many great stories to tell. I think you definitely well, should. I, I, I'm always being approached to do a podcast, and I, I can see I had I've had great fun on other people's podcasts, like uh, Alec Baldwin. We had a great time. How do you people not ha- keep how, telling me they just discovered it? How do you not have a good time with Alec Baldwin? It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. you're right. No. And uh, Gilbert Gottfried and I laughed ourselves silly on his no, I think, podcast. I think you should have one of your own. You know, make it at your leisure. I think you should do your own podcast. Well, I suppose I should. You know, you can bring, you can pull archives. You can talk. You know, tell stories. You can bring in. You know, new talent. Yeah. Try and educate them on. You know the past and prior talent. Um, I think you'd be fabulous sometimes, with your own. I think you'd be fabulous. Sometimes they want you. To, they want you to have a younger person on with you to appeal to the younger audience. Uh, is that why Tony Bennett teamed up with Lady Gaga? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that. I I don't think you need a younger person to appeal. I think you have enough appeal of your own that people would be tuning in to a pod to your podcast. Oh, I was going to say the funny thing about uh, the the people who watched the show then and are now watching it now on decades, which on five nights a week, mm-hmm. um, doing cabinet shows and. So their kids are telling me now I'm getting to see the person my parents were so crazy about. <laughs> and it makes you feel 104. Oh, no, uh, it doesn't. But, but now I, I have new young fans. See? See? Young fans would gravitate and, it, and, and go to a podcast. I think you should do it. All right. Well, and I'm, I'm going to blame you if I don't like it. You can blame me, and I will come on. I will come on the podcast with you anytime you need someone to help bail you out. I promise. Oh, that's a good deal. <laughs> Unfortunately, my radio show—we're all out of time today, Dick. This has been just an absolute thrill. This is one of the greatest thrills well, 
I have ever had is having oh you on God. my show. That's not a recorded message. <laughs> it's not a recorded message. <laughs> that is from my heart, Dick. Thank you so much for joining me on Behind the Lens today. And well, yeah, Debbie. Uh, and by the way, you're not bad yourself. Well, thank you. Coming from you, that is probably one of the greatest compliments I will ever have. I, that means a well, lot. I'll, I'll double it in that case. That that means a lot, Dick. And I hope you. I hope that I can that you'll come on the show again sometime. I wouldn't say no. Well, good. But in the meantime, <laughs> have fun at South by Southwest with Ollie and Cav at the tail of the tapes later this week. Yep. Thank you, Dick. Maybe I'll see you. Well, I won't be at South by. I won't be at South by unless uh, unless something turns up and I happen to fly down there. One never knows. <laughs> One never knows. I could, but I promise you. But if, I feel stupid for not being able to tell your listeners when the, that day is. Oh, I should have looked up the specific date myself, but I didn't. But I think it's the. Well, I know they have media. I think so because they have media holding the reviews. I think till the thirteenth or something. So my guess Uh is that your premiere is going to be this weekend, and then reviews can. Well, I'm coming down there on Thursday. Now, whether it's that day or the next day will be for the clever to determine. That's right. All right. Well, you have fun at South by. Okay, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you, Dick, so much. Bye bye. And that was the legend himself, Dick Cavett. Ooh, we've got a Catherine Hepburn story. This was great. All right, well, that is all the time we have. We're actually a couple minutes over, and Pam was lovely enough to not cut off Dick Cavett. So until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 